message this morning is a dedicated life. I mean, if you know that a revived life is a dedicated life. When God revives you, when God revives me, the result is we are dedicated. And many people use this term. If someone was to come to you and say, are you a dedicated Christian, what would you say? Many of us would say yes. But there are a lot of things that we say to people because we are marketing the gospel. But it's not really true. Amen? Think about it. If someone comes and says to you, someone who's not saved, they come and they say to you, are you a Christian? Or do you love your church? It's difficult for you to say, I don't really like my church. Right? Because you feel it's bad marketing for Jesus. Amen? So if someone comes to you and they say, are you a dedicated Christian? It's very difficult for you to say, no, I'm not really. And so we want to unpack this thing called a dedicated life. And we want to explore what does it mean to be dedicated. The first scripture is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to read verse 20. It says here, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Let me tell you something. The issue we are dealing with today in our walk with the Lord is an issue of ownership. When we have a revelation that we don't own ourselves, that we belong to Jesus, and that he's already paid for us, everything changes. You see, the reason why you speak to people and you say, do you want to be used by God? The reason why when you speak to people and you ask them concerning certain decisions, and you see that they're in a quandary, they're not too sure about this, they're not too sure about that, is because they haven't dealt with the question of ownership in their lives. It says here, you were bought at a price. Past tense. It's not like Jesus still has to pay for us. He's already purchased us by his blood. Now there's nothing more precious in the entire universe than the blood of Jesus. That bought our salvation. That bought your salvation and that bought my salvation. There's nothing more precious. And Jesus paid I want to show you something because this is so powerful. How would you feel if you have purchased a piece of land, but there are squatters on that land? How would you feel? You've already purchased. It's not like you've only signed something. You've actually paid for it. And now you want to move in and do what you want to do. You now want to use that piece of land for what you bought it for. But there's still squatters on that land. How would you feel? You see, it's one thing to have big debates about squatters on certain land, but it's another thing when you've paid money for that land, and now you want to use it, and you've already decided what you want to use the land for. Are you with me this morning? Don't let the enemy rob you of this revelation. How would you feel? So my question to you is, are there any spiritual squatters in your life? Is there something that is squatting in your body right now? In your affairs right now? In your business right now? That's not supposed to be there. Are there any spiritual squatters in your family right now? In your household right now? Let me just say something. It is fraudulent. It is fraudulent that after someone has paid for a particular thing, that you still hold on to it. It's fraudulent. If I go and do, and do some work for a particular organization, and they pay me up front for that particular work, I, and we sign a contract, I can't sit back and say, I know thanks guys for the cash, but I'm not going to deliver. Are you with me this morning? Jesus bought you for a price. He redeemed you. And when he did so, he did it in faith, believing that he would have all of you. Not just some. It's not like we accepted him first and then he died for us and paid by his blood. No, he paid for us by his blood in the belief that he will have all of us. 
And when Jesus paid for us, he was paying for a purpose. He wasn't just paying for our redemption in the sense of us going to heaven. He was paying that his purposes would be fulfilled in our lives. How many of you know that God is an investor? God is an investor. How many of you know that when you invest in something, you want to get something out of it? And that's why you see that in the New Testament writings, you see the term being used, we don't want Jesus to have died for nothing. We don't want Jesus to have died in vain. You were bought at a price. And let's take it a Let's have a look at verse 19. It so often says, Do you not know that your body is what? You see, what happened is when you were redeemed, everything changes. When we came and we started renting this particular place, this place used to be used for martial arts. It was training up people in martial arts. When we signed a contract, the use, the purpose of this venue changed and it became a place of worship. When Jesus died for you, you were bought for a price and there was a change of purpose. Your body that had been used for other stuff, Jesus now comes and you say, I'm setting apart Christ as Lord. There was a change of purpose and your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Very often when you move into a building, what do they ask you? They say, what do you want to use this venue for? With the venue that we'll be using in Pretoria East, one of the key questions that they keep asking is, okay, so what will it be used for? Jesus is very interested in our use, in what our bodies are used for. And when he purchased us at a price, it was for particular use. And that's why when someone says, I'm giving my life to the Lord Jesus, in essence what they're saying is, my physical body, my whole entire being has changed its purpose. It says here, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? What happens in a temple? A temple is a place of worship. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? I find it interesting that when Paul the Apostle would deal with sin issues in the New Testament, he started off by dealing with identity issues. You see, very often we want people to change their behavior, but foundationally people must first change their sense of identity. When you know who you are in Christ, when you know who you've become in Christ, when you know what you were purchased for, everything else changes. A temple is used for specific things. A temple is a place of worship. And what happens is that when we are not using our bodies, our entire being, to worship God, by default we'll worship something else because we were created for worship. Are you following me this morning? God created the human being for worship. And when our worship is not directed to God, when our worship is not Godward, it will be towards something else. And in this day and age, when there's a lot of humanism, when humanism is one of the dominant things in our society today, that's the worship of man, where you become the center of everything, where you become the center of your own universe. Very often we end up into self-worship. You'll either worship something else or you'll worship yourself. If you're not worshipping God. Our default is always worship. It's just who you're worshipping. When he purchased you, your identity changed. You became something else. Now this issue of dedication is so crucial. Because the dedicated person does certain things. Dedication is associated with specific acts of dedication. And I said to you the other week that when we talk about spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare is not just about what you say, it's also about what you do. They're acts of warfare. On Friday night we spoke a lot about powers and principalities, about rulers of darkness, about spiritual wickedness in heavenly places that delay the blessing of God. And we see this in the life of Daniel, where the prince of Persia was delaying the breakthrough that Daniel was praying for. 
But I want to tell you right now, there are acts of warfare that we have to engage in. The Bible tells us and is very clear. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 20 to 21, it says, On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do you overcome evil? It's talking about specific acts that stem from a place of holiness. Specific acts that stem from a place of dedication. Can you see that? It's not just about rebuking spirits. It's not just about rebuking spirits. We did a series on warfare, I think it was in 2012. We'll make that available to you again. But it's important that we understand that warfare is not just about rebuking spirits. Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. flee. The resistance is not just in saying, devil, go. The starting point is submit to God. Resist the devil. The resistance is not just, devil, go, devil, go. There's a resistance that comes in a dedicated life. And we're going to go deep into that now. You see, God might say to you, in order to dismantle the spirit of pride in your organization, I want you for the next three weeks to serve that person in humility. Those are acts of warfare. We call it servant warfare. Where you serve as an act of warfare. God is speaking to people right now. A dedicated life has many blessings that come with it. But as we embark on this journey, let's also remember the consequences of a dedicated life. A lot of people don't understand. The way a dedicated life works, there are consequences. When you say, Jesus, I dedicate my life to you, there's tremendous blessing because there's a way in which he'll use you. Let me explain this to you. The start of your abundance, the start of your wealth is found in stewardship. I just want to explain something very quickly here. There are certain things you have as a Christian because of your covenant right. So in other words, the Bible tells us that I've never seen the children of the righteous begging for bread. Never. So his provision is a covenant right because we are heirs. Amen? Amen. You can be taken to prison or your kids can be taken from you and taken to social workers if you're not feeding them. It's their right. Even if those kids are being a bit rude to you, you can't just say, I won't feed you. Are you hearing me? My kids are often quite demanding, especially when it comes to food. Mom, please give us breakfast. No, no, sometimes there's no please. I heard one of my sons just the other day, Mom, Mom, can we have breakfast now? I need to eat. (laughs) Give us this day our daily bread. (laughs) Amen? They have a revelation of that. It's their right. But not every Christian is walking in abundance. Do you know why? Because the way you walk in abundance, and I'm now speaking financially, is a question of stewardship. Because when you look in scripture, you see that Jesus talks about it and he gives us the parable of the talents. Doesn't he? And you see that the one who was faithful with the little that he had been given, what did the master do? He gave him the increase. And how many of you know that the starting point of your stewardship is in the tithe? Because when you are tithing, you're basically saying, God, I know you can entrust me with that which belongs to you. How many of you know that that's the dedicated life? When you know that, you know what? I don't own myself anymore. I don't own my money anymore. I'm a steward. What does a steward do? A steward is someone who takes care of that which belongs to another. Your breakthrough financially comes when you have that revelation that that which I've got here is not actually mine. Beyond the tithe. You see, we say the tithe belongs to the Lord. In the new covenant, everything belongs to the Lord. And when you have the revelation that it's God's, what happens is the mindset of stewardship is, I will use this that does not belong to me. I will take care of it for another. And I will use it in the way that they would. If someone gives you cash and says, keep my cash for a year, I trust you to use it wisely. When you've got that cash, you'll be thinking to yourself, how would they use it? Come on now. When you're entrusted with something, you're saying, how would they use it? What would they do? 
in my relationship with Michael as we talk about planting churches and so on and we're saying we're establishing these go Christian churches he's a faithful steward we talk a lot we're close in that way and he will be saying what would Paul do in this situation what would Paul do in that situation are you hearing what I'm saying it's a stewardship mentality and what happens is when you are faithful with the small God gives you the he increases what you have because he says I can trust you with this therefore I will trust you with more so my question is can God trust you with what he's given you or are you like the wicked servant who was basically saying ah this guy my master is like this my master like this let me bury what he's given me so what we do, how do we invest what he's given us? What's the best place for that? We start saying, how can I put this money to kingdom use? Why? Because it belongs to the king. And the king wants to use it for his kingdom. Yeah. Guys, when you catch that revelation, everything changes in your life. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be this person who just has a big fat bank balance. I don't want to be this person who, who's materialistic. I want to be a person who has lots of finances running through me because God trusts me. There's a difference. That's the stewardship mentality. Someone got that. Someone got that. See, one of the main ways to overcome the spirit of mammon is through your giving. It's through your generosity. Romans chapter 20 Romans chapter 12, verse 20 to 21. Romans chapter 12, verse 20 to 21. Verse 21, it says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the New Testament, ladies and gentlemen. Is there still evil? Yes. Can Christians still be overcome by evil? Yes. And that's why Paul the Apostle says, Don't be overcome by evil. Okay. Now, what are the consequences of dedication? When you say, I'm dedicating this to the Lord, what are the consequences? I want to show you a scripture that a lot of people don't look into. Proverbs 20, verse 25. I'm going to know that a dedication involves vows. Whenever you're dedicating yourself to someone or something, there are vows involved. When you say, I'm devoted to my husband, I'm devoted to my wife, at what point did the devotion begin? When you said, I do. Not so? And what did you do when you said, I do? There were vows, weren't there? I hope you've exchanged vows. Yeah. <laughs> now watch this. Watch this. This is so powerful, you see. Because it's a trap to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider one's vows. It's actually a trap. So it's a trap for you to say, God, I give you my life. Lord, prepare me. To be a sanctuary. Singing those songs because we sing our prayers, don't we? A lot of these, these, these songs of worship are actually prayers. We're, it's Tehila. We're singing our prayers. Lord, prepare me. Be very careful about saying things rashly because you're actually making a vow. And there are consequences when you then break the vow. That's why when you break your covenant with your wife in terms of cheating on her, or with your husband, because a lot of wives nowadays cheat. There was a lady who was telling me that she was being given bad advice by people. She said, Paul, I need counseling. Yeah, I think my husband and I will need counseling because we want to go to a Christian counselor because my friends have been telling me if I want to spark up, I spark up my marriage, I must just have an affair. That's the advice I've been given. I said, who is telling you that? That's what they say. They say, have an affair to spark things up. <laughs> okay? So women also cheat. Amen? It's not just guys. But the Bible is very clear. It is a trap to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider one's vows. I want to encourage you married people here, consider your vows very, very seriously. And those of you about to get married, don't do it rashly. Because there are consequences to the breaking of the vow. Someone is getting this this morning. Dedication also involves becoming a gift. When you say, I am dedicated to you, honey, or whatever you call your spouse, you become a gift to that person, don't you? You become a gift to that person. Wherever in scripture you see, 
it's spoken of that God has made this person a chosen treasure, that God has called this person, that individual then becomes a gift that can be unwrapped and used at God's will. That's why when we, the Bible tells us in the book of Corinthians about the spiritual gifts, we see that the gifts are for the body, they're not for us. Amen? How many of you are a gift to the body of Christ? So please let the... How many of you raise your hand like you like you aware that you're a gift? We won't think you're being proud. Okay? Okay, I'm seeing hands everywhere. Keep your hand raised. So you're a gift, right, to the body of Christ. Please start letting the body unwrap you. I'm talking about unwrapping a gift. Please start letting the body use you. I don't know about you, but at Christmas time, when my kids get, get gifts, they can't wait to open them up. And they think, do we have to wait until Christmas Day? And part of the excitement of getting a gift is unwrapping it. There are a lot of people who are gifts to the body today, but they've never been unwrapped. They look very nice, but we don't know what's underneath. We don't know what's underneath. My question to you is, have you been unwrapped by the body? Is the body benefiting from the gift that you are? <laughs> now, I want you to see this in scripture. <clears throat> because... When you become dedicated, you're a gift. And when you become dedicated, there's also responsibility associated with it. Have a look at this. Numbers chapter 18. Are you getting something this morning? Numbers chapter 18, verse 1 to 7. You're accountable for whatever message you listen to, huh? What does the Bible say about people who are hearers, but not doers? It's like a person who looks at themselves in a mirror. And then they leave and they've forgotten how they look like. Imagine like looking at yourself in the mirror and seeing that your zip is down. But the moment you've left, you've forgotten that your zip is down. What is the point? Imagine looking at yourself in the mirror and you see this thing sticking out of your right nostril. And the moment you start walking off, you've forgotten that there was that thing sticking out of your right nostril. Numbers 18. I want you to use more examples. I think you get the picture. Numbers 18 verse 1 to 7. The Lord said to Aaron, you, your sons and your family are to bear the responsibility for offenses connected with the sanctuary. And you and your sons alone are to bear the responsibility for offenses connected with the priesthood. Was the priesthood a gift? Yes. Were there benefits to being part of the priestly tribe? Yes. Was there a responsibility? Yes. You see, many of us want those benefits. There are things the priests could eat that other people couldn't. They could have part of those sacrifices that were brought. They could have them. They didn't have to go out hunting. They had the food there. There are gifts and benefits associated with the priestly ministry. But there was also a responsibility. There were gifts and benefits. For example, the priestly ministry had access into the sanctuary, into the holy place, in a manner in which other people didn't. Other people tried to go in there and they would die. How many of you know that when God has called you and you're a gift to the body, there are benefits? There's access you have to dimensions of heaven. When you hear certain things, you're not permitted to tell people. Paul the Apostle said he was caught up. And what happened? He says, I heard things that human beings are not allowed to hear. I heard them. He had access. Someone is getting it. There are benefits associated with the dedicated life. The priestly ministry had to be dedicated. There are certain things priests could not do. There was a stripping process that priests in the Old Testament had to go into. Today we are a priesthood of believers. There's a stripping process that God takes you into. And to the degree to which you allow him to strip you, to the same degree can he use you in priestly ministry. What is priestly ministry? Priestly ministry is where you represent man to God. Someone is not getting this. A priest is someone who stands in the gap and represents the people to God. In the New Testament, there's no division between the clergy and the laity. We are all a priesthood of believers. 
Someone is starting to catch the revelation now. How many of you know that when you go in the ministry of intercession and you are praying and you're saying, God, give Sunera her breakthrough, that is priestly ministry. And now what's powerful is that Jesus is our high priest. So he has done all the sacrifice already. And now in faith we come as a priesthood of believers on behalf of our brothers and sisters, representing them saying, God, please, on behalf of my brothers and sisters, on behalf of my community, on behalf of my nation. And how many of you know that in the priestly ministry you have different dimensions of it? I'm sharing with you things from the throne room right now. This is not something I read in a book, you understand? This is for you right now. I wasn't planning to say what I'm saying. So it's for someone right now. And you see what happens is that when you grow in the priestly ministry, you begin to represent more jurisdiction, a greater jurisdiction than you did before. But the priests went through a stripping process where they had to be stripped of the flesh, where they had to be stripped of themselves so that they could adequately do the representation. Now, I want to show you something very powerful here because we see the responsibility that these priests had. It says, bring, in verse 2, bring your fellow Levites from your ancestral tribe to join you and assist you when you and your sons minister before the tent of the covenant law. They, they are to be responsible to you. And are, that's that word responsible again. And are to perform all the duties of the tent. But they must not go near the furnishings of the sanctuary or the altar otherwise both they and you will die they are to join you and be responsible again for the care of the tent of meeting all the work at the tent and no one else may come near where you are you are to be responsible for the care of the sanctuary there's that word responsible again and the altar so that my wrath will not fall on the Israelites again I myself have selected your fellow Levites from among the Israelites as a as a as a gift as a gift to you dedicated can you see how close the word gift and dedication is dedicated to the Lord to do the work at the tent of meeting but only you and your sons may serve as priests in connection with everything at the altar and inside the curtain I'm giving you the service of the priesthood as a can you see this dimension God calls people to become gifts and then he gives you your ministry, your calling as a gift. Isn't that powerful? Anyone else who comes near the sanctuary is to be put to? Yeah. We're talking today about the dedicated life. The dedicated life. Could it be that there are things that God wants to do in and through you, but he can't do them because you haven't yet got a revelation that you are a gift? Could it be that there are things that God wants to do in and through you, but he can't do them yet because you don't yet know the responsibility of that dedication? Could it be that there are things that God wants to do in and through you, but he can't do them because you haven't yet got a revelation that you were bought by him? You no longer belong to yourself. Are there decisions you're struggling to make today because you don't yet have a revelation that you're not your own? You've been purchased. Have you become a fraud that is going on his own mission but Jesus has already bought you for a price? So let's go on a little journey and let's see in six basic areas. I might not finish them today, I'll carry on next week. But in six basic areas, I want to show you what are the signs of an undedicated life. When you're not dedicated fully to God, what does that look like? And then I want to show you God's alternative for each of those items. Are you ready? You see, many people think they're quite holy. They think they're fully dedicated to the Lord. So we need to assess this. Can I start with the first sign of an undedicated life? 
lack of excellence and impure motives in your work lack of excellence and impure motives in your work you see if you're truly doing something stemming from a revelation of God's calling God's holiness you'll do it as unto the Lord if I'm completely dedicated to God then every single thing I'm doing I'm doing it as unto him so it will show behaviorally people will be able to see that wait a minute there's a difference here there's a difference here it's not business as usual amen you see when you know that you've been set apart by God and for God it affects how you go about your work and your service everything you do you see we've tried to teach on excellence from a behavior modification perspective guys we must be excellent guys we must offer plus one service and we all teach this in the corporate world but for the believer your excellence stems from doing it as unto the Lord not man Colossians chapter 3 verse 22 to 23 says slaves obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to carry their favor so you're not doing it in a man-pleasing way you know those people when they're working it's like oh yeah when the when the cats are away the mice side play i deal with organizations like that where you hear the, the boss complaining saying the problem is when i'm away the guys there's no energy and other people see it and they see it as falsehood because they're like this person works so hard just when the boss is around but when I ask them to help me doing some, do something they don't help me so what's their motivation is it just to carry the favor of the boss as a Bible believing Christian we're dedicated to the Lord Jesus and regardless of who asks us to do something we do it with the spirit of excellence because we're doing it as unto the Lord when you have that revelation you're not worried whether people are saying thank you or not when people say thank you it feels good but when you know that you're God conscious and you're God honoring that fills you that fills you you see it in the life of Jesus when Jesus would serve when Jesus would do what he was doing he says I'm doing what I'm seeing the father doing he was straightened to God the father he was not bent toward man we get bitter and we get resentful if people don't recognize us for what we've done because we are bent towards them but God has called us to a place where our reward is giving him glory our reward is knowing that he is pleased he is smiling our reward is knowing that he's saying sure my son I can actually pour more of my spirit in and through you because you've made room for more of me It says, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Are there things that you're not doing with all your heart right now? Because you see, when it comes to singing songs in church, what do we say? Guys, let's press in. Let's do it with all our hearts. But how many of you know that your work becomes worship? And when we move around, it's a lifestyle of worship. So everything we do, we do heart and soul as unto the Lord. Now, how many of you know that you can only do some things heart and soul? You can't do everything heart and soul. Otherwise, you'll just be so finished. Therefore, pick what you'll do and do it heart and soul. Amen? When you try to do everything, you cannot do everything heart and soul. Do what God has assigned you to do. Then you'll be able to do it heart and soul. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. For some of you, that's the shift you have to make. That's the shift you have to make. If your attitude as you go to work is, why should I come early if my boss always comes late? It means you're doing it for them. God is already there at work. God is there. And if God is your ultimate boss, you will do it according to how he's called you to do it. May the spirit of excellence rise up in this church, not from a place of a man-pleasing spirit, but from a place of the dedicated life. Amen. In the NLT, it says, work hard and cheerfully. How cheerful are you? 
as you serve God. Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do. For those of you who think this is just about religious activities, no. It says at whatever you do. The context here, it was talking about slaves and their masters. It wasn't talking just about serving in church. Sometimes we like to quote these scriptures when it comes to religious activity. It's talking about all of life. Even when you've got a lousy boss. Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do. As though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Do you know that this, this is a key to financial breakthrough? Just that. Because what happens is that when you're doing it as unto the Lord, and when God is your ultimate boss, even if your earthly boss is not paying you enough, God makes up the difference. Because God has said in his word, a workman is worthy of his wage. God will not say something as a principle and then apply it to himself. For some of you, you should be believing that God makes up the difference. But how many of you know that God cannot make up the difference if you're not doing it for him? You see, God makes up the difference when your mindset is, God, I'm receiving you as my boss. I'd rather, I'd rather have you as my boss than this person. Now we honor our earthly masters. And we serve them faithfully. But we recognize that ultimately, all is under God. You see, when you're not doing it as unto the Lord, it means you're doing it with ulterior motives. Ephesians 6, verse 6 to 7. Ephesians 6, verse 6 to 7. Says, it's not just seen. And I just, I just want to explain the principle. It's not just seen in tasks, but it's seen in how we serve and love people. Look at this. It says, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you. So the very same thing Paul was addressing to the church with the Colossians there, the church at Colossae, he's now addressing it to the church at Ephesus. It says, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you. Some of you are short-circuiting God's blessing over your life because you only perform when you're being watched. You only do things when you're being asked to do them. You're not proactive. Even in the church, even volunteers in the church. God has called us to be proactive because we're doing it as unto him. Amen. It says, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your hearts. You can see when people are doing something from their heart. There are times when people are doing things and you can see it's just their hands and feet there, but the heart is not in it. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. It's interesting that he had to address this thing with two churches. The same thing, the same revelation. Two different churches. So what's God's alternative? What's God's alternative to me just doing things to carry someone's favor? What's the alternative that is associated with the dedicated life? I'll tell you what it is. It's about being set apart for God. It's about being set apart for God. Look at Exodus chapter 35, verse 30 to 35. It says, And Moses said to the children of Israel, Exodus 35, verse 30 to 35. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God. So the calling happens first and then he fills you up. What, is he, what did he fill up Bezalel to do? Was it to preach? Was it to be a priest in a temple? No. It says he has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding. How many of you know that even in the workplace, God can fill you with wisdom and understanding to transform your organization, to transform your community, to transform this nation? Wisdom and understanding is not some pseudo-spiritual thing that is limited to the four walls of this church building. It says, he has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding, in knowledge and all manner of workmanship. There's an anointing for the crafts. 
There's an anointing for design. There's, anoint, there's an anointing that you can operate under to, to create great programs. Those of you who are programmers. To create great movies. Those of you who are filmmakers. Someone is getting it. In wisdom and understanding, in knowledge and all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. There's something being released right now for artistic workmanship that the world is going to see, that people will buy your stuff because you have been anointed for that particular purpose. How many of you know that you can dream with God. You can dream with God. There are people right now, today, who are getting dreams from heaven and they're starting businesses based on that dream. They're moving beyond their natural talents. They're allowing the Holy Spirit to add God's super to their natural. In verse 34, it says, and he has put in his heart the ability to teach. In him and Ohiliab, the son of Asimach, of the tribe of Dan, he has filled him with skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker in blue, purple, and scarlet thread. How many of you like to work with color? And fine linen and of the weaver, those who do every work and those who design artistic works. What happens with the dedicated life? The spirit of excellence comes upon you when you say, God, I thank you that you've called me to do this. I now give my whole being to you because I've been bought for a price. I've been bought at a price, the Bible says. And now I'm going to allow you to fill me by you, with your Holy Spirit to anoint me to do the work. But I recognize that the gift is completely from God, and so I'll use it to God's glory and God's honor. I don't know what God has called you to. Have you been called to be a filmmaker? Have you, have you been called to be an author who writes creatively? We've got playwrights. We've got people who are doing various things that are amazing, but God wants to add his super to your natural. Have you been called to counsel people? He fills you up with wisdom and understanding and creative methodology to bring across a particular truth. People say, oh Paul, those cards you use and so on in your workshops, they work really well. The whole thing of using cards came from the Lord. The people who, do, who print my books for me, they're Christians. And we were sitting one day and the lady who owns the business, one of the partners in the business, she says, Paul, I'm not just seeing books, but I'm seeing games. I stood on that particular word and from there came my 12 D's, the 12 D's of world-class leadership and the games there. And then with Emily, we worked on affirmations that went into the app around that particular thing. It was a God idea. And that's why whenever I use those particular cards in the corporate world, people just say, these cards, these cards, these cards. It wasn't an idea from man. It wasn't some nice, brilliant brainwave I had while I was driving. It was something that came from heaven as a prophetic word that I I received for myself Amen. and when something comes from heaven if you build on that particular thing that's when it explodes Amen. so now when I'm making decisions concerning the future I want to build a lot around those 12 D's Amen. Amen. When I was in DR Congo, it was the 12 D's where Pastor Stephen said, like, I can, I can translate this for you. You don't even have to pay me anything. I can translate it for you. How many of you know that to translate a book in, into, in, into French, just a small book like the 12 D's, I spoke to the guys from Alliance Francaise. They quoted us 80 grand, 80,000, just a small book to translate it into French. I know there's some people who can do it for you for, for, for less than that, but that's the going rate. And here's someone who said, no, I can just do it for free. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yes. I don't know about you, but I want to work with the ideas that have come from heaven. Yes. And when I work with those particular ideas, I want to do it with the spirit of excellence because it's something of his kingdom. The second one is a sign of an undedicated life. Worldly patterns of thinking. Worldly what? Patterns of thinking. There's a way the world thinks and there's a way the kingdom of God functions. 
What is God's kingdom? God's kingdom is wherever his rule and his reign is. God's kingdom is wherever his culture is. God's kingdom is God's way of doing what God does. How many of you know that there's God's approach, there's a kingdom approach to relationship and relationship building? I'm talking about girls and boys now. Hello. There is God's way. There's God's pattern. Malebo, you're getting excited. You just like that topic. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with liking that topic. In fact, I hope you like that topic. Otherwise, maybe there's something wrong now. See, we come to church and we're like, no, I, don't, I won't laugh about that because I'm spiritual. Religious people. But there's God's way. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13 to 14. And this is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom. So please understand that there's human wisdom. And ask yourself, how are you building your business? How are you building family life? How are you building your marriage? Is it based, by hum- on, is it based on human wisdom or is it based on, you- on wisdom from above? And this is what we speak not in words taught us by human wisdom. Who's teaching you? I said, who's teaching you? Who is teaching you? Are you speaking words taught by human wisdom? Or are you speaking like Paul says here, it says, but in words taught by the Spirit. Expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The natural man does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. So right now when I start talking about financial stewardship, those of you who are carnally minded don't get it. How many of you know that you've got the carnal Christian? The person who said, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, but their minds have not been renewed to a point where they think Christianly, if there's such a word. I've heard some people use that word, right? Some, they, they don't think that way. Because the process of your mind being renewed, it's a process. That's why Jesus said, sanctify them, when he was praying in John 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. How do we come to a place of sanctification? Sanctification is holify, holification. It's the same root word, hagios. How do we come to that place? It's where we allow the word of God to renew our minds from the pattern of the way of thinking of the world. There's a worldly way of raising our kids and there's kingdom way. There's a worldly way of doing business and then there's kingdom way. Now watch this. He says, the natural man does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. What are you rejecting that's come from the Spirit of God? He says, for they are foolishness to him. That's why that song we were singing was so powerful because we're acknowledging the wisdom of God. You're wiser, you're wiser, you're wiser. That's a song of consecration because we're acknowledging that it's your wisdom, the otherness of the wisdom of God. And we're saying we're embracing your wisdom, not our own. And says, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. They're spiritually discerned. Is there something that you're resisting even right now because it's spiritually discerned, but your mind is carnal? So what's God's alternative? Romans 12, verse 1 to 2. Romans 12, verse 1 to 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. So we have to know what's the pattern of the world. If you don't know the difference, you'll conform to it. You'll conform and you'll just flow with it and you'll do what everyone else is doing. 
So do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The starting point is giving over yourself to the Lord. And the fruit of the dedicated life is deliverance from worldly patterns of thinking. You see, there are a lot of Christians trying to work holiness in their lives, but they haven't done the first thing. They haven't answered that question of ownership. And for some of you, it's just a decision. It's just a decision. You've been in a quandary. Should I, re- should, should I break up with this worldly guy or not? The reason you're in a quandary is you haven't come to a place. Well, not a quandary is right. Where you're like deliberating about stuff. Not too sure. You're confused. Right? The reason you're in that quandary is because you haven't taken that step toward the dedicated life. The reason you're wondering, can I still do business with this person or not? Is because you haven't taken that step toward the dedicated life. That's why it's still a debate for you. So when you do this, you want him to use all of you and not just parts of you. You're the kind of person who says, Christ has become my life, like Paul the Apostle said. As opposed to, ah, you know, you know my, the spiritual side of my life. The spiritual side of your life. Like, like your spirituality is in this corner over there. Christ has become my life. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. That's what Paul says. So your life is no longer compartmentalized. There's, my, there's, my, there's this compartment where God is in this corner. It's no longer like that. He has your mind. He has your heart. He has your words. He has your hands. He has your body. He has your eyes. How many of you want to embrace the dedicated life? So important. And that's why there's that powerful hymn, and we'll play it sometime. Take my life and let it be. Always only for you, my king. And goes on and starts talking about take my hands and let them be used by you. Take my feet. Consecrated completely. Amen? Amen. I'm going to end with the third one and we'll call it a day. No consultation with God. One of the signs of a life that is not yet dedicated to the Lord. You don't consult with God. You don't consult with God because sometimes you know what he'll say. So you kind of avoid him. In the same way that you don't consult with certain Christians. You know when you say to people, did you seek counsel here? They'll say yes. You must always ask them two questions deep. Who did you ask? And you'll see that a lot of times people ask their friends where they can predict what the answer will be. If you seek counsel from your backslidden friends and you're like saying, is this okay? Do you think it's fine? Of course they'll say to you, it's okay. Amen? So sometimes we avoid God. We avoid seeking Him out on a particular matter because we know what the answer will be. It's one of the signs of an undedicated life. And you see this in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. You see, when you're not consulting God on issues, there'll always be something else you're consulting. When you're not actively seeking God's face, you open up yourself to be counseled by demons. You see, God wants to inhabit us fully. God wants to take us to a dimension where His Holy Spirit can work in and through us. How many of you know that there's a battle for your mind? How many of you know that there's a battle for your body? In the same way that the Holy Spirit wants to anoint you, wants to flow in and through you, wants to inhabit you so that your body is the temple of the Lord, there's the powers of darkness that want to do the same thing. 
How many of you know that if we're not actively yielding to the Holy Spirit and His work in and through us, we'll find ourselves gradually yielding to something else? I want to show you something very powerful here. Someone may say to you, Isaiah 8, right? When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Should not a people consult their God? The moment you've said, Jesus, you're my Lord, automatically in that you're saying, Jesus, you're the one I go to for consultation. Do you know what happens on this continent? A lot of what we're experiencing and the lack of prosperity on the African continent, we know it's not because of the natural resources. If you've traveled, those of you who've traveled through the African continent, you know what I'm talking about. You go to some of these countries. In DR Congo, when you look at the soil, even me, who's not an agricultural person, I can say there's something unique here. There is something different. This is at another level. It is so rich in minerals. Things grow there. But when you look at the infrastructure, you're saying, what's going on, guys? When you look at what's happening in this nation, it's very spiritual. You've got people who you sat with at university. They were in your economics class, and now they're leading some of the political parties. And you're saying, ah, did, we not, did we not sit under the same lecture and learn the same stuff? Now this person is saying this. Did they forget what we studied? Yeah. Come on now. Quite a number of the people who we studied with are now leading in government. Yes. yes. You know what's happening? People get counseled by demonic spirits. Nations that consult ancestral spirits end up in bondage to the spirit of poverty. Because when people go to those ancestral spirits and they say this and they consult and they ask for this, they're not speaking to their dead relative. They're speaking to lying spirits in the guise of being your dead grandfather or your dead this person. Because the devil knows that if it's some strange demonic spirit that says, I'm a bad, evil demon, you're not going to consult with it. So familiar spirits, spirit that operates in families and so on, they masquerade as something else. And doesn't just happen here. It happens also in the West, where people will have these heirlooms and these family spirits. And they say, oh, I was talking to this one and I was talking to that one. And they think that these things are comforting them, but they're actually wicked spirits of darkness they want to destroy right. do not consult with the dead you're speaking to demons don't even pitch up at those places and say I just want to show them that at least I'm respectful there's no respect we have for the devil People are bound today because they would go to various ceremonies and so on saying, we were just watching. There are things we need to uproot. The fear of the Lord needs to return. I'll touch on the fear of the Lord next week, but it needs to return. And I'm speaking from experience, by the way. I'm talking about family dynamics where we had to take a strong stand even as children in families. I was one of the first to get born again in my extended family. Now, when we have a family reunion last December, it was like a revival meeting. People getting healed, stuff happening. But it was a family where back in the day, guys would be saying, oh, we've been told this by such and such an entity or a person so we need to do something about it come on some of you know what i'm talking about so we need to do something about it hey you'd have grown-ups saying i'm in the firing line full of fear and as a young teenage boy i would say guys this is wrong we shouldn't be doing this because this and this and this could happen and people just keep quiet they'll be just like they were afraid of me or something (laughs) yes yes you must do the same don't play don't don't play games with the enemy now you can't force people to stop their activities but they shouldn't force you to be part of them you see Christians where they could be in a very powerful meeting that is radical 
yielding and saying like, okay, I have to go to this family gathering and you know what will be happening there. And you miss out on your inheritance because you're going to that family gathering because you are bound by a wound and it's a wound of rejection where it's so important for you to be accepted by your family. Very often family always comes round. But people aren't comfortable with that period of rejection. They're not comfortable with it. That was for someone. Now look at this. It says, someone, I like it in the New Living Translation. Someone may say to you, let's ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead with their whisperings and mutterings. They will tell us what to do. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Should the living seek guidance from the dead? I believe that when a nation does not acknowledge God in his holiness, the people open themselves up to demonic counsel. Nations experience judgment. Judgment of nations isn't something that just happens in the end. Those cities where Jesus said, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Where are they today? Woe to you, Capernaum. Where is Capernaum today? If you study the history of these nations, you'll see some of these, nation, these cities were invaded. Soon after Jesus had said that, Chorazin, earthquake. People believed it was probably an earthquake that destroyed it. Ladies and gentlemen, this was after Jesus rose from the dead. So don't say to me, I know, but in the new covenant, new there's no judgment. No, cities, nations are being judged right now. Yeah. Don't be like the prophets in the time of Jeremiah, where Jeremiah had to address the kings and say, you guys are listening to lying prophets. And the lying prophets in the church today, they say, ah, no, it's fine. God's grace will just cover. No, there's sicknesses, plagues, famines today, even in this nation. Because people have not acknowledged the holiness of God. Because people have not consulted with God. And that's why as the church we need to come with the ministry of intercession and say, God, have mercy on us as a nation. Have mercy on us as a nation because we've sought the wisdom of demons. That's the prayer that we should be praying. The, eco- the economy part is easy. We've got the answers. We know what we should be doing. Even in nations like Zimbabwe, people have come up, they've got papers where they're saying like, no, yeah, this is, the way, this is what the turnaround will be like. You just have to do one, two, three. But is it happening? No. May the Lord have mercy on us. May this nation return to worshipping the living God. What is God's alternative? Proverbs 16 verse 3. God's alternative is that we commit all our affairs to God. Instead of seeking counsel from demons, instead of seeking counsels from humanists, we seek counsel from God. We commit all our affairs to the Lord. Proverbs 16 verse 3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do. It doesn't just say commit your ministry to the Lord. It doesn't just say commit your church to the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do. When you're writing a play, commit whatever you do to the Lord. Dedicate it to Him. That's that word commit. When you start a business, commit whatever you do to the Lord. When you go and you're about to give a presentation at a board meeting, commit whatever you do to the Lord. In the New Living, I like it in the New Living Translation, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. What's a plan? To plan is to prepare the details beforehand. That's the definition of planning. Now, how does God establish your plans if you don't have any plans? If you don't have any plans, how does he establish your plans? So it's important to plan. It's important to have a dream. It's important to have a vision. It's important to carve out, this is what I want to do. And then you commit it to the Lord. Commit everything you do to the Lord and he will establish your plans. You see, a lot of Christians make a mistake here where they become fatalistic. So they've got no plan. They've got no dream. They're like, I'm afraid to dream because if I hope too much, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. 
God, just do it. Just do it. No. God wants you to have a dream. God wants you to have a vision. But commit it to him. Where you're saying, God, I want your dream for me to come to pass. And then he starts giving you the details. And sometimes he doesn't give you the details. Sometimes he says, just paint the picture. I've given you a blank canvas. Begin to paint it, begin to paint it, but be yielded to me as I've given you that blank canvas. Okay, start painting it, start painting it, start painting it. Commit it to me and I'll establish it. I want to do stuff that God establishes. I don't want to waste my time doing things that are not going to be established by God. Some of you are saying, you, 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 you start all sorts of things and then you just want God to rubber stamp it. No, commit everything you do to the Lord and he will establish your plans. I like it in the ESV. It says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. So what are your works? What are your plans? Is it artwork? Is it a building? What things do you need to commit to the Lord? Because it says, commit to the Lord whatever you do. Is your money committed to the Lord? If it's not committed to the Lord, it's committed to all sorts of other things. You know when you say to someone, can you do this? Can you come here? And they say, our, our money is committed. Your money will always be committed to something. For some of you, it's controlled by mammon. Mammon is the demonic entity that controls the spending of money. It's the demonic entity that controls materialism in nations. For some of you, your money is committed there to fuel the spirit of mammon. So what needs to be committed? Is it your money? Is it your family? Is it your plans? Is it your body? Is it your use of time? Amen? That's the dedicated life. Let's pray.